like quantum physics has been around for a hundred years. Einstein proposed it a hundred years back, but it's still uh, something because it's so radical, it's hard to wrap your head around it. And um, so we think it's something different and it's got nothing to do with our ordinary existence and right. our ordinary existence is in Newtonian levels. So like you say, cause and effect. But um, when we um, start changing our perspective and say that consciousness is actually the primary, primary cause, um, our whole perspective shifts. And then we can see that um, consciousness exists on many different levels. And it's not just in our, uh, people think that the brain causes consciousness, but there's more evidence to actually say that Conscious, does consciousness cause the brain? So it's a chicken and egg situation. It's really hard. I mean, where is the mind? Uh, those are the sort of questions that I've always been interested in. I've always questioned and I've never had. to Dads and Deadless podcast with me, your host, Rish. This podcast is to raise awareness around the social stigma of the word man up. Research has shown men are less likely to seek help for trauma, abuse, neglect, addictions, and mental illness because they will be perceived as weak. Research had directly or indirectly linked these problems to the social and cultural perceptions of the word man up. It's time to start a conversation and redefine this word man up. Each week, you will be hearing from men and women all around the world who survived emotional abuse, physical abuse, domestic violence, and addictions, and how they came out on the other side with triumph to begin a new chapter. Also hear from experts and coaches all around the globe on matters like brain health, psychology of men and women, holistic healing, fitness, and last but not least, what it takes to be a man, overcoming the social stigma and expectations, and tap into your individual unique authenticity and vulnerability. Thank you for joining me in this mission to serve men around the world and letting them know they are not alone in this. Welcome to another episode of Dads and Deadlift with me, your host, Rish. Today's guest is Dr. Donna Biswas. She is all the way from Australia. Got to connect with her sometime last year in summer because we both are writing a book and her book is published. It's called The Quantum Psychiatrist. And she walks through uh, specific modalities of psychiatric uh, evaluation or the mental aspect of it, physical aspect of it, and how there's a lack in the system and what kind of modalities can be used and to help the public and our next generation. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Donna Biswas. Donna, welcome to Dads and Deadlifts. Thank you, Rish. Hi, everyone. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you, Rish. Thank you. Um, I, before I, uh, go further let's introduce yourself let's let's kind of tell my uh, listeners who you are and what you do and then we'll kind of jump straight into the topic sure Rish. okay so uh i'm uh as rish has mentioned i'm from australia i am a psychiatrist based in sydney and um my journey um started uh well over 20 years ago and uh, I have always been passionate about uh, holistic mental health and somehow uh, during all my journey in um, psychiatry, I found that conventional treatments were uh, very lacking. Uh, it's mainly medication and talk therapy that we offer to clients in conventional uh, psychiatry and psychology. And however, when I entered private practice a few years ago, I found that there were a lot of people who, um, didn't really uh, recover or didn't really improve with these conventional methods. Particularly, uh, there were people who had um, trauma, especially developmental trauma, childhood trauma, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and of course, treatment-resistant conditions. Uh, and they, uh, there was something 
always lacking and uh, it seemed like they kept coming back and back and it's like they are in the system for years and years without actually seeing results. Um, that's something that really frustrated me, which began me on this journey to find out more about what are the methods of um, treatment we can offer to clients to actually get them to uh, see results quicker. And that uh, uh, in the couple, last couple of years, I've actually done a lot of research, I've uh, trained in a number of modalities myself, and that's how I came up with the concept of uh, quantum psychiatry. And um, I believe that healing um, is um, something which needs to occur on uh, many levels because we are multidimensional beings. We are not just the physical body or the mental body. We are so much more than what uh, conventional psychiatry and psychology recognize. And we need to heal on all levels in order to move forward, um, which is why I have um, came up with my book, uh, The Quantum Psychiatrist, uh, From Zero to Zen, Using Evidence-Based Solutions Beyond Medication and Talk Therapy. Yeah, I mean, this is, <clears throat> this is amazing because I, I, I completely agree with you, as you said, uh, personally, being uh, a, a candidate for, you know, talk therapy, and I, I still have my therapist, but at one point I had to go through different modalities to get to the trauma. And uh, everyone on my podcast know I openly talk about it. In my book also I'm writing about it, like I've been sexually abused as a kid and the trauma didn't surface until my son was born when I was 37, 38. Um, but all this while I never really fathomed, like it was there somewhere, I knew it, but never really bothered me in day-to-day -day life. And uh, that's when I started different modalities to kind of heal myself. And uh, there are things that I still do. And you were right, like sometimes talk therapy is not enough. So having said that, <clears throat> let me uh, get this again. So you practice all these different modalities in your practice currently, correct? Uh, yes. So uh, that's something that uh, we, I have introduced uh, recently, but um, and I've got a lot of training in these modalities. So it's something uh, that I integrate into my uh, psychiatry practice. Of course, don't get me wrong, medications and talk therapy have their place. I'm not, um, uh, I'm not trying to trivialize them, but uh, some people just need more. And I think that uh, if we integrate a variety of practices and combine techniques, you just get more results quicker and more effectively. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically, I think like you're right, because sometimes it's like, you know, you're just doing one, one thing a, a specific, you're just on a one path. And if that doesn't work, the other one works. So I, I personally believe that even working with like trying to figure out a few things for my own foundation, I'm finding out like there are big gaps still in the mental health space because, and I, I read your uh, uh, summary and I, uh, in your book where, where you talked about like, you know, there's a, uh, it's, it's one dimensional as of now, that's the psychiatric evaluation and, uh, quantum physics, and I'm a huge fan of quantum physics, and I understand where it's coming from. It's open that multidimensional approach. It opens up that uh, I, it's not about, it's about, uh, you know, overall how everything works connect, connected together versus cause and effect than a Newtonian uh, world, what Newtonian uh, physics that we call it. Absolutely. So uh, when I talk about quantum psychiatry, when uh, people think that quantum is very new age and so everything is quantum nowadays, but that's just the paradigm shift that we are experiencing in our world today. And we are like quantum physics has been around for a hundred years. Einstein proposed it a hundred years back, but it's still uh, something because it's so radical, it's hard to wrap your head around it. And um, so we think it's something different and it's got nothing to do with our ordinary existence and right. our ordinary existence is in Newtonian levels. So like you say, cause and effect. 
But um, when we um, start changing our perspective and say that consciousness is actually the primary, primary cause, um, our whole perspective shifts. And then we can see that um, consciousness exists on many different levels. And it's not just in our, uh, people think that the brain causes consciousness, but there's more evidence to actually say that Conscious, does consciousness cause the brain? So it's a chicken and egg situation. It's really hard. I mean, where is the mind? Uh, those are the sort of questions that I've always been interested in. I've always questioned and I've never had answers till I actually went into quantum physics and tried to get parallels between quantum physics and uh, consciousness. Now, um, so just a few examples, like um, when we talk about uh, the, we, we think that the brain is everything and um, we create, uh, there are neurochemicals, the neurotransmitters in the brain and they cause uh, changes in the neurotransmitter cause what is called depression or uh, anxiety or all these psychiatric issues. Now that's a very uh, simplistic understanding of what mental health actually is or mental illness actually is because um, at what point do thoughts uh, with do neurotransmitters become thought? Uh, so neurotransmitter is a physical, it's a matter, and then thought is energy. So where does this transmutation happen? How does it happen? That's something that we really have never figured out. And it's almost like no one wants to talk about this because it's too hard. It's the too hard basket. So um, that's where we uh, need a radical shift and say, consciousness is primary and the neurotransmitters or whatever we're experiencing, they might be secondary, they might be ref a reflection of what's happening somewhere else. Now that's, they are a bit um, esoteric if you really go into it, which is why I've always maintained that you can't heal just on a physical level, it has to be physical, mental, emotional, spiritual on all levels because we are multidimensional. And that's essentially what quantum psychiatry um, <clears throat> talks about. It talks about healing on all these different levels and uh, using different modalities from each of these different levels. Um, so it's not just so medications and um, you know, they act more on a physical level. Uh, therapies act more on a mental level because you talk therapy, you're actually using your prefrontal cortex. So you're using a lot of uh, thinking but the interesting thing about, uh, like I um, mentioned before, when we talk about trauma, especially people who've been through childhood trauma, uh, it's, I hear these experiences all the time. They often, uh, people don't even recognize that they have been through trauma as a child, uh, unless, uh, until something happens in their life and it just triggers them and they can't explain what's going on but it has really far-reaching consequences. Now I'll talk about um, a noted trauma researcher. He's uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. He's a psychiatrist. He's been involved in uh, the trauma um, uh, uh, area for a number of years. Uh, like uh, he's really an expert and he calls trauma the silent epidemic of our times. It's so prevalent. It's so prevalent and yet we do not recognize it. Um, we talk about uh, trauma-informed uh, care, but what we really need to be talking about is trauma-focused care, which is basically actually finding out and going to the root of the trauma. Now, uh, when we talk about trauma, it's when we have a lot of trauma in uh, childhood, the brain is developing at that point. And uh, at that point, it's actually the emotional brain or the limbic system, which is which develops first. And the prefrontal cortex and the, the cognitive area of the brain, they, that actually develops last. So it's, it takes a while to actually get to that area of development. So what happens when trauma happens when you're young is it gets lodged in actually the limbic system and Talk therapy just focuses on the prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of your brain, but that's what, not where the trauma happens. So even though you know, you recognize that 
you know, you shouldn't be reacting like this, or this is what where the reason is. Emotionally, you still react in the same way because it's lodged in the limbic system. Until we actually address the emotional part of the brain, uh, talk therapy doesn't go much forward. So I'd say I don't devalue talk therapy. I think it's important, but there's a place for it and there's a time for it. So I think we need to be processing the emotional aspect of the trauma first before we go into talk therapy. So that's how I envision uh, treatment to happen. And uh, so, uh, okay, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, before before I lose my thought, like I yes. do want to come yes. back, and I don't want to interrupt you, your thought. I do want to come back and talk a little bit about uh, really hitting that emotional and uh, limbic system, and how and what modalities uh, we can use. Sure. And what modalities do you use uh, for uh, healing those trauma? And of course, I do want to talk about a little bit on the child uh, counseling too. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. And um, what I was also saying in terms of that is um, that trauma is also, uh, recent evidence says that it's also lodged in body. Uh, so it's not just about the brain, it's also about bodily memories. So uh, sometimes even physical therapies like yoga, massage, they can uh, help process those traumas. So which is why there has to be an integral integrated program to actually address traumatic memories, not just medication, not just talk therapy. That's very one-dimensional. Wow. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so, I mean, like overall, just the holistic aspect of it, right? Because as you said, uh, it's science that your emotional uh intelligence or your emotional, uh, you know, or limbic system, whatever the medical term is, I'm not a big medical guy, but I'm always curious about all this stuff. So are you saying that gets, of course, that gets developed first, correct? As a, as a, as a child, any yeah. age, do we, do we know have well, um, I guess, I mean, uh, yes, definitely. So like, I mean, the development of the brain takes place from uh, down up. So the first, the vital centers develop, which is the uh, lower brain, uh, the respiratory, of course, that's, that happens like well, pretty early on, but the emotional brain develops like early on, like from say from birth, uh, even up to the, like the preteen years, the cognitive part of the brain actually starts developing just around those preteen years. And uh, there are many, um, uh, theorists who have actually tra tracked down the development of the human brain and the psychosocial development of uh, uh, humans. Um, what I borrow on uh, in my concept, I've identif uh, I, I really um, identify with a, a guy called Eric Erickson, who was uh, a really um, fantastic um, mental health professional, and he found he uh, described eight stages of psychosocial development and i um, i have actually um, worked on that and actually integrated that with uh, what i call the uh, chakra medicine or uh, basically development of our energy centers uh, and that follows the same pattern so when we talk about the development of a child so we initially, there is a stage where you gaining control of your functions, you're gaining more independence. That happens during the three to five year mark. But then there is, um, the, uh, there is a phase where um, they develop um, curiosity, but then the environment uh, plays an important role in uh, determining whether they actually become inhibited or whether they maintain this curiosity through their life. Because as you know, like when uh, a lot of kids, uh, they are curious about say their private parts or who other people. So they ask a lot of questions, but uh, as parents or as uh, adults, we try to box them into categories and say, this is appropriate, this is not appropriate. They're just curious. They're, it's not about 
what is appropriate or not appropriate, right? They're just trying to find out about their environment. Mm -hmm. uh, if we um, uh, box up that curiosity, they might actually get inhibited uh, during uh, the future. So we call these, uh, there are technical terms for the stages, but I'm just trying to um, take you through the development. Now, when um, a child becomes an adolescent, that's when connections develop. That's where really the uh, you you develop the judgment, the prefrontal cortex develops, so you develop judgment, you develop a personality, you develop connection with other people, uh, your likes, dislikes, those sorts of things, that's where it actually uh, happens. So till that time, it's mainly emotional, it's mainly about, you know, uh, connecting with your family, your environment, finding out. But that does, but that does shape those judgments coming in the adolescent years. Oh, right? absolutely. That is so important. And that's why when trauma happens in that, during that time, it actually stunts the personality development of a child. And uh, the person, we call, um, there are really a lot of personality disorders we talk about in psychiatry, but where do they come from? Uh, they don't just happen out of the bloom. Um, it's the environment that shapes these personalities. Um, we call, uh, there is a particular personality disorder, which is very common in people who have been through trauma. Uh, it's called borderline personality, but, and there is a lot of stigma around borderline personality and people, uh, therapists I've seen uh, tend to interpret it very negatively, but this is nothing but trauma. It's nothing but trauma that has happened in childhood, which is, actually affected the developing brain. It has affected the personality development and that's how it shows up. So um, when I talk about personality, um, I tend to go to the root of where it all happened. And I mean, most chances are it's happened sometime during childhood during the growth patterns. And it's not just trauma, uh, like uh, there's physical abuse, sexual abuse, there's a lot of that happening, but it's not just that. There is neglect, parental expectations, um, how your parents shape your view of the world. So it's so many aspects which shape who we are as an adult. So it's really trying to find out what's happening at the uh, in the developing brain. And uh, sometimes people don't even remember what's happened there unless we actually use certain techniques to get them to either remember or process it. Now, if we remember uh, without giving them adequate skills, if, if they start remembering traumas without the skills, that's when a crisis can happen, which is why, um, like you said, you didn't remember about your sexual abuse when um, till your son was born. So that was your ego trying to protect you from getting hurt. And it only came out at the time where um, probably you needed to protect your son. So you needed to actually become aware of what happened to you so you could protect your son. So that's how I'd interpret what happened and how why it came out at that particular time. Mm -hmm. Now that sort of awareness, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of processing to happen. Sometimes it can happen spontaneously, but more often than not, um, you need help to actually help you to process those memories. So that's where um, I talk about the integrated approach. No, um, it's, it's amazing that you talked about it because I was uh, uh, chatting with someone uh, for my episode and um, he's in UK and uh, he, his dad, his dad is uh, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And it's pretty severe in his, in his dad's case, but what they have found out uh, going through different uh, modalities and trying different things that his, when his dad was young, his dad really ha had a very good upbringing Mm -hmm. But as you said, people think it has to be a trauma. His dad was just neglected from his father. Mm -hmm. And all his life, he basically tried to live up to his father's expectations. Of course, 
the guy I talked to, uh, his dad passed away. I mean, his grand granddad passed away. And, uh, and it's it just amazing, like how that specific small thing can develop such a severe trauma and severe mental health issue. It's, it's unheard of. And funny thing is, this had been going on since 1990s. And until not recently, they have diagnosed his dad with borderline personal disorder and the same goes with my other friend who was already on this podcast michael from again from uk and his dad had been again same the same thing had been diagnosed with the borderline personality disorder uh, until recently not until recently it, it just blows my mind that how far behind we are in this oh absolutely and um in talking about neglect i mean uh, there is an interesting um uh, caveat that you can find um, in, I think it was in Romania, and just um, pardon me if there's any um, mistakes, but this, I'm just talking about the concept that there was a, there are some, there were orphanages in Romania around those, uh, around the 1960s or the 70s, where there were, um, the kids were just left alone, they, like they were provided for, like they were given food and uh, clothing and everything uh, that you get, but there was no love, there was no communication, and those kids, uh, the researchers tracked them, and they developed severe problems later on in life. So it's not like they have, were abused; it was just that they were neglected. So even neglect is is a really big; it's got a really big factor to play in the development of later psychiatric illnesses um, and personality disorders. So it's not just, and I, that's what I uh, want to uh, talk to people is, it's not just about whether you've been sexually abused, physically abused, it doesn't need to be that. Even neglect, even parental expectations, like people saying, oh, you could be better than that, or you know, why are you second? Why are you not first? So those sorts of expectations, they shape you as well. Um, so they're in trauma world, we call them as the big T's, which is the big traumas, and the little T's, which are the small traumas that accumulate. Um, so these little scorns, the little negative comments, and they all these little T's and the big T's, they accumulate and then they cause the whole picture of what we call complex trauma um, or complex PTSD. So um, that's essentially uh, what I I reframe borderline personality as nothing but complex post-traumatic stress because it's an accumulation of all traumas and all these life experiences. It just doesn't come from nowhere. Right. So that brings me to my thing about like, you know, we hear about this, like, and I'm a father. Uh, I know you, you have, you have one kid or two kids. Yeah, I've got one, one kid. Yeah. One kid. And so th that, that brings up a question, right? Like, because a lot of people have been talking about it, like, okay, yeah, Rish, you had been through a divorce and uh, keep uh, paying it, pay attention to your kid. And uh, sometimes it's good to have them uh, enroll in uh, some sort of child counseling. Okay. Now, having said that, we are trying our best. I think like we co-parent very well, me and my ex, and uh, I'm very aware of his emotional uh, intelligence and where he's from, and especially me doing all this work. So that makes me more in tune and more cur curious uh, towards that, uh, even understanding his love language and okay, so what does he needs and all that. Having said that, what kind of, what do you have to say about this child counseling? Because that's where I'm a little confused because Child counseling, if I understand you correctly, okay, so our emotional uh, development is going, we are soaking in all this experience and embracing it and learning as we go, I mean, as simply as I can put. And then if we face some sort of stressful situations and we are going to a child counselor uh, because we are acting out or because we are screaming, because we, we are seeing as an adult, we are seeing them act out and we immediately try to solve them. That's just part of us, right? Because we want to control that situation. Um, how is it effective if we as parents don't take the necessary step to change the environment than just having a child go to a counselor and express to them? And how much are they even expressing? 
Well, that's a very valid question. That's a uh, very good question because, uh, like I said, the the, the the brain at that point, uh, when you're talking about a young child, it's uh, mainly the emotional brain. So they're not they don't have a lot of capacity to actually express what they are going through, what they are feeling. So often, of course, child counselors they don't uh, just talk. They help the child express through play therapy or through drawings uh, so the sub, the emotional component comes out but more importantly i think i mean of course i mean it, you it is about parents taking responsibility as well because um, unless the environment changes the experiences are not going to change so even if uh, the child is seeing a counselor if the environment is not changing it's just uh, not going to be effective now uh, in uh, that's what we call um, intergenerational transmission of trauma. And that's like a very well-established uh, fact in trauma literature that people who are traumatized themselves, they raise kids who are traumatized and the pattern goes on unless someone makes a conscious change and tries to break that pattern. And for that, um, like you say so very rightly, parents have to work on themselves first before they can actually help the child change. Because once they break the pattern, the child won't, the environment will change and the child will be able to develop normally. And now, uh, when we talk about child counseling, I mean, of course, like play therapy, drawing, those things are uh, what uh, counselors generally use. But I think what to get to that emotional brain, the limbic brain, we probably need to uh, try something which um, would be more effective in processing without necessarily uh, talking about the trauma because kids can't talk about trauma. It's really hard. Like it, it's just, it's lodged within their brain, their body. They, they can express it through behaviors they can't talk about him, okay? That's not just how the brain works. But uh, in that case, um, there are certain therapies like uh, neurofeedback, which can actually help um, retrain the brain. And we actually, so this is what I call uh, a bottoms up approach versus a top down approach. So when we talk about a top down approach, it's about the talk therapy. So the prefront, it goes to the prefront context, what you're talking about and then it's processed and then you change the emotional brain. Um, the bottoms up approach is actually changing the emotional brain first so that your thoughts change. And um, we need a combination of those two approaches uh, to address trauma. So talk therapy is just a tops down approach, whereas a bottoms up approach would be something like neurofeedback where you're actually working on the emotional brain, on arousal, uh, on those brain patterns and um, and the processing just happens naturally during that time. Of course, for adults, there are many more therapies, but for kids, uh, neurofeedback, I think is a very, very good um, therapy. There is, a, um, when we talk about uh, Bessel van der Kolk, I've talked about him before, he's got a book called The Body Keeps the Score. And if you go through that, he talks about how neurofeedback helped a boy uh, who was drawing stick figures and with 20 sessions of neurofeedback his drawing completely changed there were no longer stick figures he was expressing they were um, more appropriate to his developmental age and so this was a boy who had been traumatized and he went through sessions of neurofeedback and his entire um, the drawings changed in just 20 weeks when we talk about that in a time frame it's five months. So massive changes can happen. And that happens because a child's brain is very neuroplastic. So they don't uh, take as much time to change as we do. And so changes can happen very rapidly. So I'd definitely, and in my practice, I use a lot of neurofeedback, um, mainly for adults, but also for kids. And uh, I find it's a fantastic way to help process trauma. But of course, uh, along with that, the parent has to change, the environment has to change. So the, that's what we're talking about in terms of a, uh, what would be best for a child to cross, help prevent them from carrying this pattern of intergenerational trauma. 
Wow, I mean, you touched on so many things. Like, you know, like I, I never used to believe uh, intergenerational trauma un unless until I started delving into this field and really researching and studying and connecting with people like you on the field. Um, so if you can kind of quickly go back and like, I, I heard like EMDR, I had hypnotherapy, CBT and all that. Uh, I, so what, what, what is it neurofeedback in very simple terms, this, this modality? What happens? Uh, it's very interesting. It's been around since the 1960s. It actually started when uh, there were for as a treatment for epilepsy, uh, believe it or not. And uh, there was uh, there were um, people who were uh, NASA, uh, NASA had commissioned someone to actually um, test a fuel and. Uh, there, there was an uh, engineer or a psychologist called Barry Sturman, and he had found that pe uh, cats who had been trained in neurofeedback actually developed less of epileptic seizures. So basically what neurofeedback uh, does is it, uh, we connect sensors to, uh, the, uh, to the scalp and we see through an amplifier your brainwave patterns on a computer screen. So it is a brain computer interface. And we can actually train the brain to produce brainwave patterns, which are more uh, in any direction that we want. Uh, so where the lack is. So for example, there, I'm, I'm not going to get too technical on mm -hmm. this, but there are uh, various brainwave patterns and some people, produce more of one as compared to the other, which is why they are either over aroused or under aroused. Most uh, commonly in trauma, it's either people are over aroused, hyper aroused, or they're just all over the place. So uh, it's more about regulating those brainwave patterns. So the it's actually a biofeedback mechanism. So you actually get to train the brainwave patterns yourself by uh, getting feedback from the computer screen about how, through computer games, about how the brain is performing. And we're told, okay, can you get more beeps? Can you get this picture to be brighter? And by that process, the brain learns, okay, this is a better state to be in. So uh, it is uh, learning, it's, uh, it, it's actually based on learning theory. So it's nothing woo woo about it. It's very scientific um, and it, uh, over time, the brain learns to produce those brain waves automatically just because it learns that this is, it's being rewarded for producing those brain wave patterns. So that's what it is in simple terms. And uh, because it's, um, it doesn't need talk therapy uh, and the brain does the learning automatically, so you don't need to consciously learn, even kids can participate in it. Like kids as young as one or two years old, they have done neurofeedback and they've got fantastic results. So uh, it's a very powerful tool and I think it's very under, underutilized uh, nowadays, still, unfortunately. Um, but uh, I've seen great results in both kids as well as adults uh, who have been through trauma and um, the change is just fantastic. Wow. I mean, I think like, I, I know what you're talking about. Of course, I mean, I, I know, I mean, like for, for my uh, listeners, you know, when, when Donna talks about brain waves, you know, like go Google it, there are different brain waves that where we uh, operate like alpha waves, beta waves, theta waves and all that. So there's like a whole section. I mean, I'm planning to do another episode on like more detailed technical stuff like that. Uh, but it's fascinating because then I don't even know. I mean, this is how my brain works, right? Like, so, and this is why I'm asking a question. I don't even know if I search in Google nearest uh, counselor, I will all, all the time will get talk therapy right? All the talk therapists are there. I don't even know a single place here. And I, I will start doing my research after this episode. Who is providing neurofeedback? I mean, that's what, that's how bad it is. Uh, I think that's what you're saying. Like that's how underutilized it, it is. That's, that's, uh, unfortunately, that's the truth. And uh, it's um, not many people know about neurofeedback. It, uh, uh, that's the same reaction. It's not just 
lay, people not in the mental health field, unfortunately, people in the mental health profession also don't know neurofeedback. For example, I wasn't aware of neurofeedback till about three years back. And the first question that came in my mind is, why wasn't I taught this in the, during my training? Like, it shouldn't be a part of the curriculum, but unfortunately it's not. It's still considered a fringe treatment, whereas there's a lot of evidence to say that there is uh, great results that can be obtained um, in PTSD, um, developmental trauma. Uh, there is a lady, um, uh, she's a social worker in the UK. Her name is Seban Fisher. She's written books. She does therapy for people who are uh, who have gone through severe developmental trauma, and the results that she gets through neurofeedback is just amazing. Wow! So I mean, this is this is not a mainstream, uh, even though it's showing so positive uh, feedback, uh, literally, and uh, you know, like in results, it's still not being considered mainstream. Absolutely. And that's where my, uh, a lot of my, the reason that I wrote, decided to write the book was because I wanted to show readers that there are a lot of techniques which are not in the mainstream that you wouldn't, when you Google talk therapy, like people wouldn't know about it. So unless you actually search for it consciously, you wouldn't know that it exists. Um, so most of the referrals that people get there it would be through word of mouth or people who've had positive experiences and they refer other people but it's not something that you can just google and find out um so uh i wanted to bring awareness that there are these effective techniques that you could use uh, along with talk therapy to make your um, changes more permanent more if uh, quicker you effect changes quicker and um uh, they are very powerful techniques. Um, so that's one of them is neurofeedback. And like you mentioned, there's other techniques like EMDR. I think people probably know EMDR a bit more than neurofeedback, um, which is basically, uh, it is a combination of a bit of talk therapy, but there is a processing going on at the moment. Uh, so EMDR, the full form is the eye movement, um, deep uh, desensitization and re. Uh, processing. So basically it's very wordy um, and it can be off-putting, but basically what you do is when we evoke a traumatic memory and we use eye movements, lateral eye movements, to help process the trauma. So that is basically what's happening during EMDR. And um, People ask, what's what's those eye movements? It sounds a bit woo-woo. Now, basically what it's doing is it, it's integrating the hemispheres, right? And it is helping uh, with um, the processing the trauma memories because it's helping integrate the memories into the two hemispheres. So uh, that's in short what EMDR does. There are other techniques, for example, EFT, um, not many people know about EFT, or, uh, it's called emotional freedom technique. Now that is something which is a branch of what we call energy psychology. And the, it is based on the uh, Eastern concept of meridians uh, and uh, energy points and the energy body. And it uses tapping to help process those memories, traumatic memories. And there are a few tapping points that we use uh, and we evoke the memory, uh, we use, uh, we find out how, how distressing it is. Then we go through a tapping sequence to in order to reduce the distress. And that again, it's very effective. It's called a power therapy because the changes happen quite rapidly. So, as you see, like uh, it's not just talk therapy. Uh, and I think if we combine these techniques, neurofeedback, EMDR, EFT, um, techniques like that, it just makes the changes happen quicker, more effective, more powerful. So um, I really want uh, your listeners uh, to um, understand and uh, get awareness on that there are a lot of techniques out there that uh, people are not generally aware of and that could affect changes. Now, if you were to specifically search for neurofeedback, you would definitely find people in your area doing it. 
probably not many, but there are practitioners doing it. There are practitioners doing EFT. Uh, there are practitioners doing EMDR, but you have to search for it specifically. Like if you just say counselor, talk therapy is all that you're going to get. So it's important. Knowledge is very important uh, mm. to get what you're looking for. Oh, for sure. And then your own research is also very important. Like, you know, what really is out there before you start embarking on a journey like this and especially Absolutely. with, uh, you know, mental health. Um Let's talk a little bit about, I saw on your website, uh, there's a challenge or a summit you're holding, uh, uh, right? Uh, or your course, I think. Yes. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that because I want my listeners to uh, understand like you are hosting a summit uh, and there's a course, online course can people take, doesn't mean like you're in Australia, doesn't mean like they cannot access you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, it, uh, the course that I've just launched is called 21 Days to a New You. So it's a mini course. It's a 21 day program. And there I integrate or I use all these techniques that I've talked about in my book. So it's not just theoretical. You're getting practical help. Uh, it, so it uses uh, pranayama, which is an e uh, Eastern breathing technique. It uses um, chakra meditation, which I've talked about, about the develop, because it just helps in the development of the, uh, go through the developmental process. It uh, uses uh, emotional freedom technique or EFT, like I talked about. And uh, it also uh, uses heart coherence, which is uh, another very powerful technique uh, to effect change very quickly. And what we, uh, what's there in the course is it's a 21 day meditation course. It takes just half an hour a day and you do 15 minutes of pranayama followed by a 15 minute meditation. There is a different meditation each day. And it is actually um, follows the pattern of the seven chakras in our body, starting from the root to uh, the crown chakra. Now, if you, um, I will explain a bit more about uh, what uh, that means in the course. So you can actually uh, access the course and you can learn more about chakras if you're not aware of it. But basically they are energy centers of our body and that's where uh, the development happens so down from the root chakra, which represents security, then the sacral chakra, which represents uh, the uh, creativity, up to the solar plexus, which is about power, identity. And if you go through a child's development, that's basically how it progresses. The first few years are about creating security. The next few years are about exploring the environment. The, then you get a sense of identity. Then the heart chakra is about connection to other people. Then you go to the throat chakra, which is about communication. So about communicating your ideas to other people. Then you go to the third eye, which is about intuition, developing intuition, and then the crown chakras of connection to the whole universe or the higher power. So that's where your spirituality comes in. So essentially there is the development of a, a child into an adult. And so I go through those stages in an accelerated form. And we use uh, tapping and um, uh, breathing to just accelerate those changes um, along with some affirmations. So that's uh, available on my website, www.thequantumpsychiatrist.com. And uh, if you go to online courses, you will find the link and you can register. Um, it's, uh, I've made it um, uh, very uh, affordable. It's less than the cost of a therapy session. Uh, and I think you'll get great results um, if you use it. And it's more about uh, if people have been trying to find their sense of identity mm -hmm. and working through themselves, I think it's going to be very useful and powerful. So feel free to check it out. I've got my book also on the website, um, The Quantum Psychiatrist. You can order it on Amazon. And uh, you can check out more about my work on the website as well. Uh, I will be offering some more online courses down the track this year. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Because yeah, this is needed. This is really needed because I'm loving a lot of the during this 2020, a uh, lot of the professionals realize that they can offer this help 
online because there are people still, you know, uh, physically now distance or virtual. And before it was like, didn't even think about uh, this level. So. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think that's uh, mental health. Uh, it's just, it's really evolved during this COVID time because there's been so much demand and so much need for it and not access. Uh, a lot of people have actually gone into the online space, which is including me. And I find that that's, uh, it's so amazing to be able to connect to a global audience and know that you're making an impact on so many people so. oh i'm pretty sure you do i'm pretty sure you're doing it right now through your book and again guys um donna's um website amazon book link and the mini course link everything will be on on show notes uh so when you check the episode out just make sure you click on read more on spotify itunes and on other six stages of platform that the podcasts are and you listen to and you will see all of it will be listed uh in the show notes uh, if you want to uh, go take a look at our website and order her book. So Donna, thank you so much for uh, coming here today and sitting behind the mic and really kind of giving my audience, I think one of the most detailed uh, professional session or episodes I got, like I had few of uh, few therapists and coaches here and uh, everyone brought their own uh, specialty and i'm really glad like you kind of touched an overall holistic approach and how we need to start looking at mental health from a multi-dimensional aspect than just it's just a one separate thing so thank you so much rish for inviting me and uh, i look forward to talking more with the audience later on and for them to connect on my website and i'm always happy to answer questions i've got a form there so anyone has any questions they can approach me and contact me there thank you so much donna really appreciate it and this is the end of another brilliant episode on dads and deadlifts okay so hope to see you guys on next episode and i really hope like you get to listen to this episode and understand that there are help available and so reach out to donna uh, as i said everything will be on the show notes and i will talk to you guys on next episode of dads and deadlifts till then take care Thanks for listening to another episode of Dads and Deadlifts. And I hope you are as excited as I am learning from our guest today on the specific topic. Please subscribe, share, and leave a comment and tag Dads and Deadlifts on Instagram and Facebook with your experience of today's episode. Because remember, your one share might save someone from feeling alone and provide them the tools they can incorporate in their daily lives. Let's each of us do our part in helping men around the world. You can personally message me on my Facebook page or Instagram page, Dads and Deadlifts, if you want your story to be shared on the podcast, or if you just feel alone and want someone to reach out to. Always remember, you are not alone. All you got to do is reach out, and I am rooting for you. Until next week, your host Rish signing off. I will see you next week with another brand new episode.